we're going through the book of Luke this summer, and, and Luke is one of four authors that uh, outlined uh, uh, the, the events of Jesus' life and ministry. As I said several weeks ago, maybe over a month ago now probably, when we kicked this series off, what makes Luke so unique is that he's writing for primarily a non-believing crowd. Uh, Luke is writing for outsiders. He's writing for those without faith. He's, he's writing for those who are spiritually lost. And then he wants them to really understand who Jesus is. And, and he can write this way because he was once himself an outsider. And so by the time we get to Luke chapter 15, um, which is what we'll cover today, uh, we read this. In Jesus' ministry, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, they often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he, that Jesus was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so the people, these Pharisees and religious leaders, these people who, who measured themselves by their own holiness and by their own righteousness, they're just getting upset about the people who are coming to hang out with Jesus, and Jesus isn't turning them away. Jesus is embracing them, but, but the leaders and, and these religious people are upset. Why would such filthy sinners have, want anything to do with Jesus? And and 2,000 years later, this, this still happens today. Uh, every single church has that, that person, those people, or, or that group who, who don't like how much love and grace that Jesus shows to people who they've determined don't deserve it. This still happens uh, all over the place today. Every single church has that person or that group of people who, who like to look down their nose at people who sin differently than them. They like to look, look down on people thinking, well, well, I'm fine, I'm good with God, but, but they look down at some people who think, now you've struggled with this, sin A, B, or C, sin fill in the blank. But you've sinned differently than me, so you're, you're too far gone for the love of Jesus to ever restore you. But 2,000 years later, none of us deserve Jesus' grace. Uh, none of us deserve it. Um, the, the choice before us is that we're all saved with it or we're all lost without it, but none of us deserve it. And so to those who are looking down their noses at Jesus because of the crowd he runs with and the crowd he chooses to run with, Jesus goes on and tells this audience of self-righteous religious leaders, he goes on and tells them three different stories. We call them parables. And just as a recap, a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Just a story used to highlight the the spiritual stuff all around us. And so the first parable that Jesus teaches these self-righteous, holy holy leaders uh, is a parable about a lost sheep. A parable about a lost sheep. And and the story goes that a man has a hundred sheep and then one gets lost. And so he goes all out to find this one sheep. And when he finds this one lost sheep, he rejoices. And so once again, Jesus then goes on, and and here's the application he's telling those religious leaders. He says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. This is a pretty bold statement that Jesus would be speaking to these self-righteous, holy people. He tells them that that heaven rejoices more over those who are lost than found than over those who are not currently wandering at all. Uh, I like to think that the the heavens are are constantly rooting for the underdogs. And that's some hard truth for for self-righteous people. That's hard truth if you think that, that you don't need grace, but a lot of other people do. You don't want to hear stuff like this. That's what Jesus tells them anyway. And if that's not enough, Jesus says, let me tell you a story about a lost coin. The story goes that this woman had, had 10 coins and she lost one of them and, and she went wild trying to find this one coin. And when she finally gets it, she rejoices. 
So Jesus looks at those religious leaders and to kind of give the application here, he says in Luke 15, 10, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. It's almost as if like up in heaven, when one person uh, changes the direction they're going and they head back towards God, it's like heaven just stops what they're doing and the entire place just breaks out in rejoicing. Now, any of us with siblings who have struggled in one form or another, we understand a bit of what's going on here. It's not hard to put ourselves in the the sinner's place or the self-righteous place. Uh, Because maybe you've had that brother or sister who you've watched as they've just wandered down some wrong path while you've remained relatively on, on the straight and narrow. And even if you haven't been down that path, you can understand the tension that can happen when the family rejoices. And they rejoice because that brother or, or sister, they've, they've taken one or maybe just a couple steps back towards a healthy life and, and everybody celebrates it. Meanwhile, child A, B, or C, they get little to, to no recognition for never wandering at all. And I tell you, it takes an incredible amount of maturity and, and, and love. And when we're talking selfless love to celebrate somebody taking a step back in the right direction when you've never really gone wrong. It takes a lot of maturity and selfless love to celebrate that. I mean, you can imagine, though, when some of you have been down this path as a mother or father, you, you rejoice. Uh, your heart is just overflowing with, with joy at the thought of your wayward child coming back after they've significantly wandered. Like, you love that. And this is what Jesus is getting at with this third story that he tells these self-righteous, holy religious leaders. It's, it's called the parable of the lost son. And there's just, there, there's so much here that we can't even cover in, in like the 15, 20 minutes I, I have left, but, but it's so good. Dive into it and just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper than what we could even go today. But so once again, Jesus looking down uh, or looking towards those uh, individuals, those religious leaders who are just looking down at the crowd that flocks to Jesus. He, he, he tells them, Luke writes, still straight the point further. Jesus told them, uh, a man had two sons and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, this was an incredibly disrespectful thing to do in this culture. Um, when this, this prodigal son, when the son asked for his inheritance, it, it, the inheritance, as, as we know in our culture, you typically wait to get that until uh, somebody is deceased. Um, the son should have to wait for his father to die to get his inheritance. Uh, and we have no reason to think his father is a, of any condition where he's going to die anytime soon because the son would surely be able to wait. But for whatever reason, the son says, it, give it to me now. And, and what that sounds like to his father is, you're dead to me. There's, there's nothing left of this relationship. Just give me what you owe me and I can be on my way. And this would have brought about just an incredible amount of shame and, and guilt for the son. In fact, in, in that Jewish culture, in such a time as this, it would have forever, for that son asking for his inheritance, it would have forever cut him off from the community. And in that day and age, community was, was absolutely everything. In the midst of, of community, it's a little different today, in the midst of community, you found everything uh, that would allow you to have an acceptable quality of life. You, you had, you had no choice. You had to be in, involved in the community. Show your face if you want a successful life. life. Uh, you didn't get to just watch church at home. You didn't get to work in your pajamas. Your, your groceries couldn't be delivered. Uh, if you're watching online, I just accurately described your life. Um, these are just jokes. Um, I love you, miss you. These are just, just jokes, right? Just jokes here. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, like the, the, the father, when he gets asked, can I have my inheritance? Well, that inheritance, it's not just a, a lump sum. 
He's going to have to go and and divide that wealth, as Luke says. He's going to have to liquidate some assets. He's going to have to sell off some things to give the the wandering son the money that that he wants. And so this isn't just a a selfish request for the the son. This is detrimental to the entire family. It has a huge impact on them. So Luke continues, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and he moved to a distant land and there he wasted all of his money. He's wasting all of his inheritance on wild living. And so the term a prodigal, um, some people think that means just, just wandering. It, it, it doesn't. The original language actually means wasteful and extravagant. And so the son is choosing to live this life that has separated him uh, from his father and from his family. And so about the, the time that his money ran out in, in verse 14, a great famine swept over the land and the son began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Uh, but no one gave him anything. Now, as with a lot uh, in the Bible, there's some things that are they're happening here in this context, in this culture that may go over our heads. And in this case, in the Jewish culture, pigs were considered uh, unclean animals. Um, so were crabs. Um, just to keep that uh, in your back pocket. So it craps, right? Uh, so, so, so pigs were considered unclean. You didn't uh, touch them. You didn't eat them. You did not associate with them. Or you broke the law. You were deemed unclean. You could not come back to the community unless you went through a, an insane process. Um, the next time you are saying prayers of thanksgiving, you may want to thank Jesus for bacon. Because if it wasn't for him fulfilling the law, we would... Bruce Pennywell would be that most unclean of us all, um, um, but, but, but some of us would be very, very uh, unclean. So, so when Jesus is speaking to this predominant Jewish crowd and he says, this, this, this son that had taken the money and, and he had wandered and, and now he's, he's working with pigs and, and he wants what the pigs are eating, everyone hearing this story would have thought, oh my goodness, like this is the lowest of low. This is worst case scenario. This sun has hit rock bottom. You, you don't work with pigs if you ever want to be a part of a community again. You don't just uh, sit in, in that filth if you ever want to be a part of the family again. So when he finally came to his senses, the son said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, which he's right. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son, which he's right. Please take me on as a hired servant. Now, the son has, has clearly here, spoiler alert, he has clearly underestimated the love that his father would still have for him. The son thinks that the things that he has done is just so bad. It's, it's fractured the relationship with his father so, so drastically bad. That when he approaches his father, he thinks, my father will never welcome me back as as part of the family. He thinks the father would only maybe welcome him back as a servant. And the son even prepares a speech. I don't know if you've ever done something so bad where you're like, if if I just string together a good paragraph, this they'll forget about it all. Right? And this is what the son is doing here. He prepares his speech. He he has planned what he will say in the hopes that the father even lets him come back to the family on the lowest lung of the ladder, just a servant. And one thing I love about this story is that, that the son has no idea how much the father still has this great love for him, despite everything he's done, despite how far he's ran. And so he, the son, he returned home to his father, and he's got this speech in mind, and, 
And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, we don't know for sure. Um, we have no idea, but, but I like to think that the father was just waiting. I like to think that every day that, that father woke up and thought, I mean, I, no matter what he's done, no matter how much he's hurt me, like God, world, just give, send him home. Let, let me show him how much I love him. Let, let me show him how much I can forgive him of, of everything he's done wrong. Let, let him come home so I can, I can restore him in a way that nobody else can. So I like to think that every day that, that father woke up and, and, and he just stared at the hill, watching for his son, holding out hope. And some of you, you're doing that now for your kids. I just want to encourage you to keep looking towards the hill. Some of you, you're beating yourself up because of the, you didn't raise them to follow Jesus maybe, or you think you could have done a better job. But they can be restored. Just keep looking at that hill. And, and some of you, you, you followed scripture. It said, raise the child in the way they should go and they'll go and, and they went the other way and, and you wonder if you've done something wrong or not. And I tell you what you can do right is just with your love, with your hope, just look towards that hill and, and wait till they come home. And, and when they come back to you or they come back to Jesus, don't, don't make them give you a speech. Um, just love them, just, just embrace them. So I like to think that, at the, that the dad just, just, just looked and, and when he saw just the, the tiniest glimpse of his son coming home despite everything he did, Luke tells us he ran. He ran. And once again, there's some things happening here because in, this, in the Jewish culture, this was unthinkable. This was unacceptable. Um, running in the ancient Near Eastern culture was all but forbidden at, at that time. Because to run, it meant that, that a, a man as a father, and this guy had a lot of wealth, so he had a lot of status in the community. To, to run means you had to pull up your, your tunic and you'd expose your, your legs and, and your hips. And, and that was just un, unthinkable. You, you didn't do that. that was, especially for a son who has done so many despicable things. I know it seems probably weird to us, but in that culture, to, to run as a man, to run as a father, it would be, be shameful. It would be embarrassing. But love will have you do wild things. And so the father, he, 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 he takes on that shame, he takes on that embarrassment, and he just runs to meet his child. And we don't know for, for sure, but he, but he likely ran because he wanted to get to his son before anyone else in the community could. It would have already been determined with this son being gone some amount of time. Within seven days in this culture, it would have been determined that what the son has done is so bad that he would have been excommunicated forever. His behavior, he's wandered so far for so long that he wouldn't be welcomed back. So I think that the reason that the father ran to reach him was because he wanted to get there with his love before anybody else got there with their confrontation. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And, and, and we may not notice this at first, but that's not the full speech he prepared. Remember, he wanted to be brought on as the servant. And he gets interrupted. His dad doesn't even let him finish. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And then 
the best sentence, so the party began. Instead of scolding his son like a a black cloud over his head, the, the father just welcomed him. The son had this speech that said, that finished with dad, let me come on as one of your hired servants. But the dad interrupted the son and said, no, I'm going to tell the servants that the party's about ready to start. Go get that fattened calf, go get that ring, go get that robe, go get those sandals. He's lavishing his son in in such an undeserved way. And he embraces him and the the son would have been just so nasty from from traveling and, and, and so dirty from working with pigs but he gives them all of these gifts. And so the robe, that that would have been a symbol of restoring the the son's dignity in front of the village. And I promise you that village would have been so ticked off. They just sat there with their arms crossed thinking this kid doesn't deserve it. They wouldn't have changed their posture whenever the father gave the son a ring. And and that ring was in this culture was a a sign of wealth and position. And so the, the father puts the ring on his child to show you are back in my family. You're back in this community. You, everything I have is once again yours. You're officially back in the family. And that community would have sat there and thought he doesn't deserve this. And next the father asked for sandals. And in this day and age, whenever you expected somebody to stay with you for a long period of time, usually they, they traveled for a long period of time and their feet would have been worn out, their sandals would have been no good. And so when the father gives the son sandals, it's, it's his way of, of putting his arm around his son and saying, uh, you're going to stick around for a while. He, it seems like just flip-flops to us, but in that culture, it was so much more. The, the son would have held those sandals, probably weeping, knowing I'm home for good. And there's one last gift, we, the fattened calf, and uh, the kind of extravagant feast of, of, of this calf that you've been pouring these resources in to fatten it up. It, it was reserved for incredibly important, large gatherings. So no longer would the son be envious of these pigs that have these pods, but he would dine on the best meat available in the presence of the family and villagers who probably didn't want to show up at that table. The father has completely in every way restored his child and brought him back into the family. He didn't have to, but the father chose to. And that's Jesus' point. Remember, he's speaking this to those Pharisees, to the people who just couldn't stand that that Jesus would be around such sinners. And this is his point. This is exactly what Jesus, he, he knew Jesus did what he came in the world to do. The cross was no surprise to him. He knew he came to die for the sins of the world. And I can't imagine being Jesus because he knew he came to die for the sins of the men he was telling these three stories to. Now, God, in his great love for us, this is what all of this, this is what it's about. This is what all of Jesus' life is about is how we relate to God. And, and God, in his great love for us, he could have left us dead in our sins. It doesn't matter if person A's wandered a little bit and person B's wandered a lot or if, if C's barely wandered it, we, we've all wandered, we, we've all sinned. And without God's grace, we would create such a wide gap between us and God, between us and the Father that, that we could never do anything to cover that span. And God in his holiness, he could have left us to our demise, but he didn't. Instead, he did what, what no holy God should ever have to do. And he became man in the form of Jesus and he, and he died on a cross. And, and I have no doubt because in, in that culture in which Jesus was, was nailed to a cross that looks somewhat like that one, that's, there's so much shame and, and so much embarrassment to be just publicly uh, just displayed on a, on a cross like that. But, but just like that father, love will have you do some wild things. 
And Jesus was crucified for for all we've done and all we'll ever do wrong. Yet through that death and resurrection, we now get to be a part of God's family, loved and accepted just like that son, loved and accepted like we've never wandered or squandered away precious moments and years of our life. And I love this story because it's just so evident that what Jesus is speaking to is not just for religious leaders, but it shows us the path back to God. Because when we put our faith in Christ, we are no longer defined by what we have done. We are now defined by what Jesus has done on the cross. And there are some people who may not be happy to see you or your friend or that relative or your child uh, come back to God. But it doesn't matter. The the matter the Father has ran to us. In in our midst, if we wanted it, is forgiveness and, and restoration and love. And and we all have the choice to accept that or not. I mean, I suppose alternate ending that the son could have said, no, I'm just going to, you know, be a slave. I, I, I'm going to be a servant. I, I don't deserve to be in your presence. But when people give you, especially when a God gives you grace and mercy, you'd be wild to just not accept it and be restored back to the family. And, and there's some religions that would say we got to pay for our sins. no. That's crap. Jesus paid for, for, for our sins. There are some places that oh, would make you think like, oh, you have to prepare a speech, but you don't have to tell Jesus or God why you've been so bad. You just need to let yourself be embraced by the Father. Come as you are. He already knows what you've done, and yet he sent Jesus. He's ran to us anyways. There's so much good stuff in, in, in this story. Romans 5.8 is such a beautiful verse. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. While we were still wandering, he had the eyes on the hill waiting for us to come home. He he sent Jesus to us when we were just as dirty as that son in the the pig slop. This is what Jesus is desperately trying to get these religious leaders, those Pharisees, to see that they consider themselves to be godly, but they don't love lost people like God loves lost people. They don't love anything more than themselves. And with a story like this, uh, it's not just recognizing God's love for us. I think a story like this, it begs us to consider, do we really love lost people like God loves lost people? Do we really love lost people like God loves lost people? And we may not be the father in the story, but there are hurting, broken, and lost people in our lives who, who need us desperately need us to, to have our eyes on the hill, be, be running towards them with the love of that father. There's people that their path to God may only be trodden because we're laying down that grass as we run to them and we show them love and grace and mercy, even if they don't deserve it. But, but we don't deserve God's love and grace either. As people of God, we have to love lost people in a way that they can see God too. 1 John four nineteen, we love each other because God loved us first. We love each other because he loved us first. That's what it's about. It's, it's understanding how much we've been loved in such an undeserved way and choosing and going to love people in such an undeserved way. And for those religious leaders, they're a lot like the other brother we've not really yet covered, but we'll meet now in the story. And Jesus finishes this story, this parable up by saying, meanwhile, the older son and, and, and the leaders, they have to know this is them. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of a safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, 
All these years I've slaved for you and you never once refused to do a single thing you told me. In all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, he doesn't call him his brother anymore. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And then as a, as a handful of Jesus' parables often do, it just ends. Brilliantly, I think Jesus leaves so many of his stories just hanging there and, and open-ended for, for questions, discussion, and contemplation. I think a lot of times with his parables, he leaves it open-ended because he wants you and I to identify who we're most like in the story. And spoiler alert, that the Pharisees didn't change their heart. I don't think they really understood the, the depth of God's love and grace towards them, so they'd never be able to show that depth of love and grace towards others. They thought they were, were God's favorite, but undeservedly so, we're all God's favorite. Uh, but 2,000 years later, we have the chance to, to, to pause and really understand we have a God who has such a deep love for us, and he calls us to show that deep love to people who are lost and wandering as well. But I tell you, you're never going to get that right if you don't first understand that, that you have a God, you have a Father who, who loves you, who, who just deeply loves you and has done everything possible to restore you to his family for forever. So let's do something a, a, a little different here. Um, if you would, let's, let's, let's stand together and, and uh, read a verse uh, out loud together that, that, that's very popular, but I think so popular at times it, it loses its meaning, I think, for us as we see it on ball games or on t-shirts, but it's, it's so powerful. And so there's, there's one of two ways we can read this. We can read this like this is bad news, or we can read this like this is good news. Um, let's read this like this is good news, all right? Here we go. For this is how God loved the... That was a slow start. Let's... All right. There it is on the screen. All you got to do is read along. All right. Here we go. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, I want to get you warmed up for what we're going to celebrate in a minute. And so what we're going to do is after we read this, let's just clap and lose our minds and... and and ring the bell for, for, for heavens, and then I'll pray, and, and I'll be done, all right? So here we go again. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's just good stuff. Let's pray. Um, God, we are so blessed um, that as we're all those, those sons who, and daughters who have wandered, we've, we've all squandered moments, uh, years of our life just out of our own selfishness and sinfulness. Um, but like that good father, you've always been looking, looking out on the hill. And, and a lot of us in here, we can testify that you've not measured us by our darkness. You've measured us by, by Christ's righteousness. There's nothing we could do. We couldn't climb up on the cross and find the mercy ourselves. It was our sinfulness who put Jesus there. But despite all we've done wrong, it just took that one obedient moment of Christ to make everything restored and right in our lives. And, and, and praise to you just for the hope you've given us. Some of us, we stand here now, we watch online, and we think about many years where we couldn't get it right. And when we came back, there you were. The story of the prodigal son is our story.
But there are other people in our lives and we have to have our eyes on the horizon looking for those people who need our love. May we not be so prideful to think that we can love them back into the family. But, but your love flowing through us, not in our power, but in your power working through us. May we love people with your type of love that can show them it doesn't matter where they've been or what they've done. You're standing right there with your love ready to welcome back into the family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.